0: I join with Justin and the other brethren in welcoming you here this morning. We're glad that you've chosen to come and worship with us. If you're here visiting with us, we're especially glad that you're here. We hope that you know that you are our honored guest. Uh, this morning, uh, Nathan prayed that, that we would find joy in the study of the morning. And, and it is certainly my prayer that you will find joy. And I will tell you this, some of you, I am certain will find not only joy, but comfort this morning. Some of you are going to be real uncomfortable with the study of the morning. Before we get into the reading of the morning, I want you to turn in your Bible or follow along there. I have the scriptures up on the board, but I'd encourage you um, to mark these. Uh, if you're using your device and you can highlight, I'd encourage you to highlight if you're taking notes. Uh, I'd encourage you to write this down and and. I want you to keep this with you, uh, not just today. Because uh, if I share these words from the scriptures this morning, and it does you good today, and you don't take these words with you, then I haven't done my job. 2 Timothy, the first chapter, verse 5 says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in you, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I want you to think about what is going on here. Paul is like a father basically to Timothy. This is his son in the faith. This is one that Timothy as an evangelist would look to for support and guidance and strength. And you've got Paul who sat down with this young man and he said this, although he's written a letter, I get it. But it's the same as if he's sitting there with his son and he says this, Hey, son, I want you to know something. I know your grandmother and I know your mother and I know they were faithful. I know the faith that was in them. And here's what I know, Timothy. I know the faith is in you also. Stir up that gift of God. I laid hands on you. Stir up that gift that's in you. Why? Because God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of a sound mind. Now I want you to focus on these words of Paul. How do those make you feel? For some of this, this morning, it's, that's, that's like a pep rally, right? It's like, it's like pepping us up. Hey, guess what? God didn't give us a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. But I am certain there's some of us this morning that when we get to the end of those verses, we become real uncomfortable. What is a sound mind? i got to tell you, I struggle with that one. You know, one of the sisters here in the congregation and I um, got to talk about a sound mind. She didn't know we were talking about a sound mind, um, but she knows this morning that we were talking about a sound mind. I'll tell you, we had a moment there uh, where we connected because we both understood something about trauma that no one else understands. You see, a sound mind is something I struggle with. And here's why I struggle with it. I struggle with it because I suffer from anxiety. Is that okay to be a Christian and have anxiety? See, I struggle with it because Paul wrote these words. Paul said, be careful for nothing. Worry about nothing. But I struggle with it. I wonder if Timothy struggled with it. I mean, he was an evangelist. Why would he need to be reminded about a sound mind? I mean, certainly he was a good enough Christian that no one needed to tell him, by the way, God gave us a spirit of a sound mind. Matthew, the 26th chapter, one of the most profound stories of Jesus because it proved that it was the first time God was a man. I want you to see this story this morning. It says in Matthew, the 26th chapter, Then cometh Jesus with him unto a place called Gethsemane and set unto the the disciples sit you here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. You know what we know? We know that Jesus didn't wear boots. How do we know that? Because evidently he couldn't pick himself up by the bootstraps that day, (laughs) right? We're a bootstrap society. But see, there's something about Jesus here in the garden where Jesus became sorrowful, and very heavy. Well, I want you to notice what he did. This is the Son of God. The Son of God who had the power to call 10,000 angels to take him down off the cross and he would have never had to go. This is that Jesus. And what did he do? He found some friends. What do you do when worry, anxiety, fear, overwhelming, your thoughts won't stop, your past keeps coming back to you? Your actions keep playing over and over, or worse, someone else's actions to you play over and over and over. You know the easy thing to do is to go and hide, to be alone. That's the easiest thing, right? In fact, we often say, look, you you shouldn't share so much. You know, sometime around 1776 in this country, we started saying, hey, don't tell everybody your business. There's some things you don't talk about. Don't talk about family problems. Don't talk about your problems, because now they'll wind up on Facebook. You know what Jesus did? Jesus said, hey, y'all sit here for a second. Peter, James, and John, I need you now. Peter, James, and John, I need you to go a little further with me. I need you to be here with me. And I want you to notice something else that Jesus did. Jesus didn't deny it. You know, anxiety and worry and mental health, it's embarrassing. It's shameful. We want to be strong like everybody else. We want to be tough like everybody else. You know what Jesus did? He named it. Jesus named it. He didn't go, well, you know what, I'm tough. In fact, Jesus was sorrowful and very heavy. He didn't pretend. He didn't fake it for anybody. Not even for Peter, James, and John. I want you to notice James, the fifth chapter, verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man Availeth much. You know what's awesome? That day in Gethsemane, we saw the perfection of Christ in living out James 5. He didn't hide it. He didn't pretend it didn't exist. He didn't pretend that that sweat that was falling with drops of blood in it was just some sickness. He said, Peter, James, and John, I need you now. I wonder how many of us can do James 5, really do James 5. Walk up and say, I'm not okay. And know that Peter, James, and John hears you. How many of us can do that? You know, I'm sure some of us are going, well, there's certain things I'll share, but there's some I won't because I know what people will say. I know what people will think. And you're right. And you know what? Jesus knew the same thing. He found out the hard way. He found out the hard way that Peter, James, and John, his closest associates, the ones he pulled out of the other disciples and said, I need you now. I need you to go, I need you to watch with me, I need you to pray with me. I need you bad right now. You know what he found out? Let's go back to, back to Matthew 26, the reading of the morning. It says in verse 40, He came unto the disciples and found them asleep, and said unto Peter, What could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. In a moment we'll get to the prayer of Jesus. But I want you to notice what he found out when he shared his deepest, darkest struggle at that moment. And I want you to notice that the struggle Jesus was struggling with wasn't hard work and labor, it was very much a struggle of the mind and of the heart. You know what he said? He said, Peter, James, and John, I need you right now. I need you to watch with me. I need you to wait with me. I need you to be here for me. I'm going to go a little further and I'm going to pray. And that's what Jesus did. And it says, He comes back and You know what? The ones he needed, the people he took with him, his closest friends, the ones he was fixing to go and die for, you know what they did? They fell asleep. I want you to imagine how this scene played out. Jesus, according to Luke at this moment, is literally sweating blood. He is so anguished at this point. And he says, hey, I need you three. I need you bad right now. Come a little further with me. Now, I need you to wait just a second right here. I got to go fall on my face and pray. Just wait right here for me. And he comes back and he finds him asleep. And here's what I imagine happens. He taps Peter and goes, come on, man, bro, bro. I'm in a bad spot right now. Could you not just sit here with me for an hour? Could you not just be here for me? Look, I understand the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Can you imagine what it was like for Peter? He's just been in this dinner in which he's been told that the one he gave it all for is fixing to go away. And now he's just got this one moment. And in the moment he's needed, you know what he did? He fell asleep. And I can only imagine that Peter at this point, his heart is in his throat. And he's going, Jesus, Son of God, the one that I said I would follow for life, I can stay awake now. So here's what happens. In verse 43 it says he, that being Jesus, came and found them asleep again for their eyes were heavy. You know what Jesus found out? Jesus found out that Peter, James, and John were only human. You're right. They're not going to get it right sometimes. They might actually think wrong about you when you say, I'm not doing well. They actually may say some very well-meaning things to you like worry about nothing. We can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And for those of you who are thinking, yes, those are from the Bible, let me tell you this, it's like saying, don't look down. You look down, what, what? What in the world's the deal? You see, you can tell somebody with anxiety all day long, don't worry. And it is not helpful in the least, even if it came from Scripture. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because those words to somebody with anxiety who aren't well, I can tell you this, it's the same as Job's friends saying, well, you must have been a sinner. It was much better for those seven days when they kept their mouth shut. But you know what? It didn't stop Jesus. It didn't stop Jesus from knowing in this moment when his mind was racing, when he didn't want to be in this position. And I assure you, he didn't want to be in this position. We'll see that. But in this moment, when he was sorrowful and very heavy, he didn't go alone. He took the friends that he had. He took the ones that were closest. And he said, I need you now. Now, just in case we want to argue Scripture here and go, I don't think you're right. See, I don't think that Jesus was worried I don't think that Jesus had anxiety like what we humans say then let's listen to these words then said he unto them so unless the scriptures got it wrong these are the words of Jesus and he said my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death Tarry you here and watch with me so unless Jesus didn't understand his own mind or his own heart at this moment then we're welcome to argue about whether or not he understood worry and suffering and sorrow and anguish and anxiety and what other name you need to put on it. And I'll tell you that Jesus himself said, not this, that nah, I've got a little bit of worry. He said this. He said, my soul. He said, I need you to know at my depths, I'm exceeding sorrow, even unto death. You know, the words we use, I'm scared to death. That's the words we use. I'm overwhelmed. He said this, at my depths, I can't take it. I just can't take it. Peter, James, and John, I need you to watch with me. I want you to see one more thing that we can learn from this garden of Gethsemane. In Matthew, the 26th chapter, in verse 39, it says, And he went a little further, and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. You know what Jesus did? Jesus radically accepted truth he radically accepted truth now i want you to understand exactly how sorrowful and heavy jesus was this is jesus in the garden he goes in the garden and he says father if there's any other way let this cup pass from me if there's any other way that we can do this other than me going to the cross let's do it that way but guess what not my will yours be done It says he went away again a second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. If there's no other way to save your people, if there's no other way that forgiveness of sins can be done, then guess what? Your will be done. But if there's any other way, let's do it the other way. You know, the Bible says he left them and went away again and prayed a third time saying the same words. You ever done that? You ever wanted something gone so bad you? Pray the same words over and over and over and over. Just let it be gone. Just let whatever this struggle is be gone. Just let whatever this was in the past that happened to me, just let it be gone so I can forget about it. Just let whatever struggle I have right now that is facing me over and over and truly beating me over and over, just let it be gone. And it's not gone. And yet we know... That God did not give us a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And yet Jesus three times went to the Father and said, If there be any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, thine be done. Second, Second Corinthians, the ninth chapter. In verse seven, Paul writes, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. You know what Paul said? Paul said, I've got some struggle. And we can talk about what that struggle was, but we know whatever it was, it was physical to Paul. And evidently, whatever it was, whether it was his eyesight failing or some other worry, it was something that was so strong for him, it says that Paul did this. Paul went to the Lord three times and said, just take it away. Take the pain away. Take the struggle away. Take it all away. And here's the response. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know what Paul did? Paul did here exactly what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you see that? How many of y'all have ever read this story and thought, you know, Paul was really tough because Paul just prayed for his weakness, but he never showed it to anybody else. You know what Paul did? Paul wrote to an entire congregation of people. Paul wrote a letter saying this, I'm not okay. Paul said, guess what? I've got a struggle, and the struggle is so real that here's what I did. I went to God three times, and you know what God said to me? God said, you're weak. And my strength is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Can you imagine that? Paul wrote to an entire church and said, there was something that I just wanted gone. I knew I could do better if I would get rid of this thorn in the flesh. If I would, You know, if God loved me enough to get rid of this thorn in the flesh, I could do more things. So I went to him three times and said, take it away. Take away the pain. Take away the suffering. Take away whatever it is. But take it away. And God said, no, you're weak, but I'm strong. And you know what Paul said? Paul proclaimed to the church at Corinth. I want you to notice what Paul had done. This is a church where Paul has said some really tough words to these people. Paul has said some really tough words to these people, and yet he's willing to write in this letter, guess what? I had a thorn in the flesh. I went to the Father three times, and he said no. And you know what Paul said? I'd rather glory in this weakness. I'd rather glory in it. Because you know what, even with this weakness I've got, I'm closer to God. And I'm closer to the Christ who gave his life for me because, of, because his grace is sufficient for me even when I don't recognize Romans 8 chapter, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. You know, sometimes when you tell somebody you're worried or you're struggling or you have anxiety, this is one of the worst verses to hear. But I hope you take this one with you. Because here's the thing, the Son of God left heaven to come to earth as a man. And as a high priest, we're told in the scriptures that he knows our infirmities. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our struggles. And you know what Jesus radically accepted? That even in that moment in the garden when his friends just couldn't be there for him like he thought he needed. He radically accepted that God's got it. He radically accepted that whatever needed to be done for God to get the glory, it was going to be done. And sometimes we have to radically accept that no matter what struggle we're in, no matter what trauma we have, no matter what anxiety we've got, God's got it. And everything works together for good even when it's really, really bad right now. And with that, if you're not a child of God, I assure you that the greatest need that you and I have is the blood of the Savior. The greatest need that you and I have is not that we get rid of whatever that thorn of the flesh. It's that we get rid of the stain of sin. For that is what eternity is based on. If you're not a child of God, we beg you and plead with you this morning to be obedient to His will. To come confessing His name and be baptized for the remission of sins. If you are a child of God and there's something that you're struggling with, I will tell you, this is an invitation for you to come forward. But before we stand and sing, I want you to know this, that although we bring this as an invitation for you to come, and I hope that if you have a need, you'll do that. I hope even more that if you have a need, whether you're willing to come forward or not, that you're willing to address it as Jesus did in the garden. If there be one of either class, would you please come forward as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.